Welcome to another Quantum Conversation, brought to you by AcousticHealth.com. I'm Loren Gailey, and I invite you to sit back as we enter the Quantum Realm, that space of the greater part of you. It is your connection to infinite possibilities, infinite potential, and infinite mastery. Welcome, everyone. Also in this quantum realm is the world of synchronicities. We're talking about synchronicities today and how you can truly ride the wave of this magical ongoing synchronicity flow in your own life. My guest today is Richard Whitehurst. He is quite the spiritual teacher. We're very honored to have him here today. He's been doing this tireless pursuit of awakening humanity for over 30 years now. And again, this is why we are pleased to meet him. He's an author of a book on chanting and uh, anchoring higher frequencies in our physical dimension. Richard Whitehurst is here and we welcome him to this quantum conversation. Hi, Richard. Hey, Loren, really great to be here. Thank you so much for allowing me this opportunity. I'm, I'm really uh, looking forward to our conversation. Yes, we're going to dive right into it. Synchronicities. Synchronicities is something's going on with synchronicities. What is it? It is confirmation. There's a, there's a path to them. Tell us about synchronicities. Okay. All right. Well, the term itself uh, was coined by Carl Jung, the great uh, 20th century psychologist and explorer uh, of the psyche. And, um, but it's not a new thing. It's not that, that he coined the expression about something that was new. It's been going on for millennia. Human beings having these experiences where things seem to fall into place um, through meaning. So it's not something that happens uh, through your standard impact causation. This causes that. And it's you know like a billiard ball thing. It's something that seems to occur somewhat through a type of resonant causation where um, uh, often contextualized. So there's a, um, a background that leads up to a number of things happening simultaneously. So it's not merely coincidence, uh, but it is a coincident type of unfolding that's rich and replete with meaning. And it's affect laden. That means like the, the physical body is full of this uh, experience of synchronicity when it occurs. And it often signals a very important change uh, that is occurring, a direction that needs to be considered, perhaps like a, the GPS on our car, you know, and the, the little voice says, in uh, two miles, you'll be turning right. And uh, that's a good idea to listen to that if that's where you're, you're headed. So that's, that's a little bit, uh, but uh, you can just pull stuff out of me. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So synchronicities. So how would someone identify that life-changing moment, right? I mean, if it's a coincidence, you said it, it's got coincidental tendencies, but it's not necessarily a coincidence. Is it a higher orchestration of a divine flow of timelines converging um, and then you said it, it's here to alter a timeline 
Talk a little bit more about that because that, you know, we could yeah. miss the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, the, the main synchronicities that I've experienced in my life, there's about 10 of them. I'd say these, these are the biggies, right? There's many little ones because my view and I encourage my clients and anyone I care about to consider the possibility that life is a waking dream. And that was something that, you know, Rumi, the great Persian mystic, who's now apparently the most popular poet in the English language, although he never spoke English, uh, said, uh, this place is a dream, only sleepers consider it real. And then the great Tibetan mystic uh, uh, Atisha, he said, um, view all phenomena as dream. So it's not to take away, it's not to make everything a complete illusion, but the idea that um, there, there's a type of orchestration that seems to occur. And um, with a synchronicity, when, when, one, when one happens, it's not like, um, did something just happen? It's usually very impactful and you know, rattles you, shakes you, puts you in a state of awe and wonderment and where you are just like, whoa, my ordinary daily, day-to-day -day reality constructs have just come unraveled a bit, right? But not the kind of unraveling that leads into psychosis, but the kind of unraveling that opens you up to a higher frequency. And my experience with synchronicities uh, are that they are happening from a higher frequency and there does seem to be an orchestration, which we can get into that a little bit more. Yes, okay. I would like to share an example recently. Sometimes they're so obvious, they really are obvious, where you just have to smile and say, wow, can you see what's going on here? So for example, um, my sister was going through um, looking for a new job, something, you know, when you're when you're going up against something and it's not everything they're not in the flow not in the flow you're not happy uh, maybe a little bit of anger or um, resentment going on and then one little phone call reveals something from a higher perspective and a higher connection our late father's um business partner coming in to offer an opportunity or to mention an opportunity. And it was just like in that moment, it's like, do you see that this is all good? You're on the right path. You're going in the right direction. So that's what's rewarding is, is it could be a, a positive road sign mm. on our journey, right? That, wow. A confirmation. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And uh, as, 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 Robert Moss says, the truth is in the shivers. And as you were saying that, all my hairs start prickling because, yeah. you know, there, there's a, a wonderfulness about it. And, uh, you know, in our modern world, many people in our Western society are um, in experiencing an ongoing state of meaninglessness, meaninglessness, where yeah. life just seems to be devoid of any kind of deeper meaning. Uh, certainly Jung spoke about this, but he's not alone. It was, uh, you know, many people have brought this up, social, social psychologists and um, like, what's it all mean? There's that beautiful uh, YouTube video of, of uh, the rainbow guy who, I think he's out in Colorado, maybe out, but anyway, he, he's walking through the woods and then he sees a double rainbow 
and I feel like millions of people have seen this, but it's, it's humorous, but beautiful. And I, you know, oh my God, a double rainbow. And then he kind of goes into this state of reverie and he's asking this question, what's it all mean? What's it all mean? And we do find in some of these magical moments, there's a meaning that is not necessarily obvious or uh, made conscious yet, but we can um, mine or extract that meaning over a period of time as we live with it, like a dream. We have a profound dream, a night dream, and it strikes you and it's full of emotion. And you know, you remember it's like, wow, I had this amazing dream last night. And what does it mean? You know, well, there's all this sim symbolism and, and the, the books of symbolism that are out there in the world, but it still doesn't necessarily mean that you immediately get the deep meaning for you because it is subjective. Um, one thing I've noticed when I share a synchronicity is people look for the causation, you know, the, the, the causal type of understanding of it. Yeah, well, well how did that happen? <coughs> and um, that's not really the way, that's not, you know, how did it happen in impact causation in a standard, what is called naive realism way of seeing the world? Uh, well, uh, I guess we could trace that out in a certain way. But, you know, when you meet people that are really important people and you can say, oh, well, if that light hadn't turned green when it did, and then that bus didn't cut me off, then I would never have met so-and-so, whatever, all these, you know, and, but then you can just trace it back and that goes on and on. Well, if I hadn't been, then that would, uh, yeah. So I really do like to consider the, the, what appears to be somewhat almost overt um, presence of an orchestrator, okay? Now I'm not gonna use the G word. <laughs> we can use the S word, which is source. Some people, uh, I think some people are more comfortable using the, the word like source intelligence or whatever. The, the great, the yogis uh, in Vedic India, uh, they called it Paramatma or Ishwara, Ishwara. Patanjali in his Yoga Sutras, uh, he has that one, it's in the first section, uh, Ishwara Pranidhana Va. So Va means or, you know, kind of like that or. <laughs> so you can do this, you can do that, you can do this. Or you can just surrender to Ishwara, who is the Paramatma, is the self, and then there's the big self. So there's higher self, over mind, over soul. Over soul was Emerson's idea. Of, but whatever, something bigger than my little ego self seems to be doing stuff and seems to be revealing, showing. Uh, well, really that what we consider the so-called subjective and then the outer objective reality, it's one thing. Right? It's not that my subjective experience is cut off from the outer, which is another way of saying, you and I, Loren, we have impact and we matter. And all of us, all humans, we all matter. And I use that mattering, not in the sense of, um, you know, what does it matter, kind of in a meaning sense, but more like in a pouring concrete. <laughs> you're concreting the new floor in the garage. You're, you're concreting that kind of verb you're mattering, literally kind of creating, mattering, putting the matter out in front of us in this illusion of physical reality. I say illusion, qualified illusion, because it feels pretty, pretty real. I'm kind of a bit of an idealist though, kind of like is it Bishop Berkeley, um, 
and he, I think he was talking about that the world is in your mind. And then he was, I forget who he was, was another philosopher and, and the other philosopher, they're walking and he kicks his stone. He says, I refute it thus, you know, it's like, like this stone is real and I'm kicking it. And, um, but there's some such interesting things coming out right now. Uh, Donald Hoffman, who uh, he wrote a, a book, but he's given many beautiful uh, lectures that are available. Um, uh, book is called The Case Against Reality. And he just goes right into this. You know, he said he used to be an empiricist that we can measure everything and that's how we do science and that's great. And we've done amazing things as a species. But uh, he said, ultimately it doesn't hold up to the psychological nature of things. It's not mathematically um, coherent with the way things seem to occur. And uh, you have um, uh, Robert Lanza, who's a cellular biologist, but he's written a series of books on what he calls biocentrism, that life comes first. And, you know, this guy's like, uh, he, uh, he was considered in the top 10 scientists of the world. You know, he's a hugely qualified scientist of, out of Massachusetts. And um, also Pim Van Lommel, who's a, um, he's a uh, world-renowned cardiologist out of the Netherlands. And he's spoken a lot about the nature of consciousness and it does not seem to be dependent on the brain and brain function because he's had numerous cases where people the heart has fully stopped and the brain is fully flatlined and yet they recount these experiences they they've had which you, you couldn't know that you know where they're in the operating theater and the nurses is, is uh, being asked to get the sponges or the scalpel or whatever and she can't find it in the the surgeon gets a little bit irate and says, that's over there, the second one down or whatever. And then they have this whole exchange and then um, it's recounted by the patient. Now the patient was fully out, everything, no brain function at all and uh, recounts these details. So um, I, I really like to adhere to, uh, I think it was Kierkegaard who first said it, but I think Thomas Burton, the Cistercian monk of some renown uh, later said it, life is not a problem to be solved, but rather a mystery to be lived. And I embrace the mystery. Also another cellular biologist, Ursula Goodenough, she says, um, make a covenant with mystery. Now she, covenant is a kind of a religious term and she claims to be an atheist, but I think we all kind of meet in the great mystery of existence. You know, it's just, it's astounding, you know, the realities of, of our lives. Our, our physical bodies, 50 to 100 trillion cells. They don't know, you hear all these estimates, low end 50 trillion cells, fully inconceivable that number, high end 100 trillion. But just if you go in the middle, say 75 trillion, if you took every cell of your body, we're able to stretch out the DNA in every cell of your body, it goes to about two yards, two meters. And if you connected all that together, it will go 5 million times around the earth. Your body, my body, everybody. It's an absolute miracle, absolute miracle. And, uh, you know, uh, Dwayne Elgin, in some of his books, he, he talks about the Native Americans having what they refer to, not all of them, but some of them, some of the tribal groups, the three miracles, the three miracles. And so I would say, well, what are, what are the three miracles? And when I, I do group 
talking to groups, I'll ask people, what, are, what do you think they are? Hands will go up. And, but just cut to the chase. Uh, the first miracle is that anything at all exists. Now imagine walking through the world, living. I mean, they are mostly, they are very integrated with the natural environment. And you're simply walking through the world. It's, I think it's a little more difficult for us modern people with all the things we've made and, you know, built and, you know, looking at a watch, you know, got my smartphone and it, right. But in the natural world, we're a little bit more, um, how to say, uh, amenable and vulnerable to this idea that the very sheer fact of existence is miraculous, that anything at all exists. And there are books out there now that are, um, that discuss this, usually written by physicists, right? That anything at all exists. That's miracle number two, that living things exist, that living things exist. And uh, on, on the Harvard Medical website, they have these beautiful animations of um, cell function. And you can get into the, the astounding detail of what is going on in our cells at every second. Now, the figure that I got that was calculated by biologists was that at every second in our bodies, 300 trillion trillion, so 300 trillion trillion things are going on every second for the physical body to be, to be functioning and active and living and responsive, you know, which kind of lends a lot of substance to the idea of the sanctity of life and to kill another human being. is just like, it's just, horrendous, horrendous loss that everyone back to the thing, we, we all matter, we're all miraculous manifestations. And the third miracle was that very, that along those lines that life exists, that life forms exist that are conscious of their existence. So that self-reflective or self-reflexive awareness that we have as humans, but I'm pretty sure uh, the, the great cestaceans, the dolphins, the orca, um, they have it too. Uh, and, uh, and some primates seem to have it. In fact, even some birds, birds have small brains, but they, they're built in a special way. It's a little bit different from ours and they seem to be really efficient. And crows, beautiful book called Urban Crow and just goes into like, and these birds are incredible. They, they, they solve, uh, they use logic to solve different problems in two and three steps that, you know, I probably wouldn't even, <laughs> I wouldn't have the smarts to do what that bird is doing. So yes, um, synchronicities are when we, we, we put those subjective and objective realities mesh. There's a belief through from the higher unity of everything, the totality of all that is, right? And, um, and we step out of the, the regular, you know, I'll say ho-hum day-to-day reality into the magic and the mir- miraculousness of being alive. Yeah, beautiful. As you were talking there about those three miracles, and the amazingness of it. Can we really continue to buy into the story that we are the only humans in this universe? (laughs) (laughs) That right there. I mean, I think everyone watching and listening here absolutely are like, no, duh. 
right? Yeah. We are not the only ones here. But I mean, that just makes the case in point. How could we be? Life is everywhere. The universe is nature in action and it's life. Fully and, agree. Yeah, yeah, fully agree. You know, a couple of years ago, the cosmologists released a new a bit of information about the, the universe, the known universe. And they say, well, we thought it was about 100 billion galaxies, but now based upon new evidence, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it looks between one to two trillion galaxies exist in the known universe based upon principles of extrapolation. We don't see them all, but you just extrapolate. And um, if you think about, well, our solar system, which is very ordinary. Now they're doing the, what the exoplanet uh, explorations of other stars and other star systems, a little wobbling is going on there. Looks like there's planets there. Oh, there's planets there. There's like, like hundreds of, of the stars that have been explored. So if you just kind of take our own Milky Way galaxy, anywhere from 200 to 400 billion stars, uh, how many, have, it seems like most stars have got planets. And you know, we've got eight or nine, depending on what we let Pluto be. Let Pluto be a planet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like Pluto. <laughs> I mean, Scorpio, sun, sun and Scorpio, so you know. <laughs> I'm, too. I'm a Scorpio as well, okay. Okay, yay, Scorpio. <laughs> and um, yeah, we're both wearing kind of dark colors, aren't we? Um, <laughs> anyway, um, eight around our, our sun, our star. So, and then th that Goldilocks zone. It's just like, I think sometimes the old guard literally needs to die off. This just, you know, scientists are so careful about what they say because they can be, brushed off by their peers, you know, or they'll, the university position is at jeopardy and they don't. So they're, well, we don't have any direct evidence yet, you know, about, you know, about that. There could be, you know, but all the younger ones that are coming in and saying, come on, get real. Well, this yeah. universe must be flooded with life. Of course, the distances are so great, right? Uh, I have an affinity for the star system of Sirius. <laughs> but that's that's a synchronicity trail in itself but the point is uh it's eight over eight light years away and a light year is such a distance you know one light second which is a distance that light travels in a second is like about eight times around earth right so i'm sure you and i we both sat on these long halls of flights you know going America to Europe or, you know, crossing the Pacific from LA to, to, to Sydney or Brisbane 14 mm. hours later. It's like, when is it going to end? You know, that's nothing, you know, at light speed, you know, one second, eight times around the earth. And it takes eight years uh, for light to get to that star system, 4.2 to the closest other star, Alpha Centauri, I believe. Anyway, the point is, it's so big, it's, but, but consciousness, you know, the non-locality of consciousness, you know, and I think there's plenty of evidence to suggest that, well, it's not that we have to physically be there to make contact with others, you know? Yes, and as we know, these days, many more people are making those connections to off-planet consciousness. It's quite beautiful. All right. Thank you for sharing your insight on that. So we're talking about synchronicities 
and you you called it a synchronicity trail and we're talking about how we can set ourselves up to really be aware of the synchronicities or to be in awe of them and you actually call it um we're moving out of the reactive conditioning of impact causation into a more empowering and responsive resonant causation we're going to have you define really what that means but i also want you to share more on your synchronicity trail of Sirius. maybe you want to share an example you did mention you you have about 10 defining synchronicities in your life and that helps us understand more in our own lives. So can you share maybe on your synchronicity trail with Sirius? That's a really big one, Lauren. And um, it's not that I'm not willing to do it, but it might not be the best example for starters because it, it goes through years. But yes. it, it, yeah. Um, let me just think, could I do that? I can do, I can do the short version. Okay. Cause it's, it's a, uh, it, for me, it connects me to, what I refer to as my stellar heritage, right? Here on earth, Richard Whitehurst, you know, my little ego persona self, and I'm wandering around and living this amazing life as a human being. But anyway, um, three days after I graduated from high school, so that was in Fort Lauderdale, Pinecrest Prep School, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. <laughs> and uh, three days after that graduation, I just had this big kaboom, which is a, this just gigantic synchronistic uh, opening, uh, Satori, Epiphany, whatever you want to call it. And I don't want to, I don't want to blow it up beyond what it is, but it was definitely, I woke up in that sense. Now, when we wake up and we don't have an adequate context, it's a bit like waking up in the middle of the night in a dark room. And you know, like you're there, you're lying, I'm awake, right? And I am awake. And you kind of, yeah, okay, well, I'm awake and I wonder what time it is. And then you know, you're kind of lying there and then you drift off back to sleep, right? So, but if you turn the lights on, you probably won't go back to sleep, right? So in the same way, um, I had this, uh, uh, I had a, I was on my surfboard in Deerfield Beach first, uh, about two months prior to this, sitting at, on, on my surfboard, waiting for a wave, looking at the fishing pier that they have there. And as I'm looking at it, I suddenly felt I could see through the whole thing. And I said, this is like a dream, right? But it wasn't like, I'm losing my mind. It was just a different kind of perception about things. About two months later, uh, three days after I graduated high school at that very pivotal uh, time in life, you know, a transitional. So I've been accepted in University of Florida. Um, I just had this kaboom. I wasn't on any drugs, but just kaboom. Everything opened up. There was no specific context. All I knew was I'm like awake. It's just different. Everything's different now. What the, the path that my parents would have me follow it cannot, cannot occur. That will not be my path. And I knew that in the future, I told my sister the next morning, went for about 14 hours. I said, Kathy, um, my, uh, I had this thing has happened to me. I don't, I, I don't know what it is. I had been reading Herman Hesse. I'd been reading Siddhartha, Steppenwolf, Damien. I'd been exposed to Jung, although I didn't get Jung. I, I was, you know, Mid, mid teenager, I didn't just didn't get him. I said something is good about this, I didn't get it. But um, anyway, I, um, I said in the future, I just know that I will be involved in a spiritual revolution. 
that will, that will be planetary. This is 1970, 1970. I said, I'll be involved in a spiritual revolution. It will be a planetary unfoldment. And I don't know how I know it. I just know it, right? So, but on that night, on that night, uh, so th- it started for me at about 8.30 at night. And then I, my, my friend from Costa Rica, John Tresmer at the, here's a plug, at the beautiful La Cusinga Eco Resort, not too far from you, Lauren. Um, he was with me when he dropped me off. So things started happening together. He dropped me off at my home and gone to my bedroom. And then this whole thing up. And then I had this impulse play Dark Star from the Live Dead album of the Grateful Dead. So I'm an old dead head um, and um, Dark Star. So it was amongst the deadheads, and any of you that are listening might be a deadhead. Uh, yay, deadheads. <laughs> that uh, Dark Star, it was their, almost like their anthem, like the real deadheads that would travel, you know, with the band all over America, like a bit of a, almost like a cult. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they would say, are they going to play it? That would be the question they'd be asked, are they going to play it? And it meant Dark Star. Are they going to play Dark Star? Now, that really impressed me as, like I said, I don't know what it is about Dark Star, but that is super important, super important. And I reread Siddhartha. I just plowed through the whole book. It was not a very big book, but I plowed through. And then, um, well, we can sort of pause there. And then later, um, uh, in, in uh, the early 80s, I moved to Australia from India. And uh, I had a series of coincidences, things that happened then. And I got Robert Temple's book, The Serious Mystery, and also uh, Robert Anton Wilson's book, Cosmic Trigger, which was connected to that book, but all about Sirius, fully connected to Sirius. And I had all these things happening to me. But what, what unfolded was that Sirius is a binary star system. And it has Sirius A and Sirius B. Sirius B is an invisible star, sometimes referred to as the dark star, right? Right. And, um, and I felt with all these, and I can't go into all the details right now, but there was one thing after that had so many things happening that were synchronistic. I started kind of freaking out at night. I was li- be lying in my bed with my wife and I'm going, whoa, you know, kind of like hold on to your seats because Kansas is going bye-bye, you know, that idea is like, it just became so, um, anything could happen now. Everything, I just felt wide open. And um, so when you have these experiences, things get solidified and kind of cemented into your awareness of, and then um, I'm just kind of speeding this along. In uh, about 1990, I became aware of the channeled teachings of Lazarus. Uh, You perhaps have heard of Lazarus. And uh, Lazarus is one of my, has become one of my dearest friends. I just really love Lazarus. And um, anyway, for about two or three years, I was listening to Lazarus, uh, really just fully resonating with that. And we'll get to resonance in a bit. But um, (laughs) after about, they were talking, someone in article interview said, well, how do you, how does it happen? Because you're not physical. You're not even in the physical reality or physical universe. How does it happen? So it's, well, we sort of like a step-down process because our energy, if, if it was to just hit you full force, it kind of would blow up or something. So they said, we step down our energy, step down, step down. And then 
we, uh, we, it enters through a portal, an etheric portal, and it is uh, in the star system, the Sirius star system. And, that, and it comes down through that star system into physicality, uh, into the channel, that's Jack Purcell, and then it comes out, uh, and here we are, sort of like that. And then um, it, it eventually is revealed that that's like a huge thing in, in all of that uh, trans, trans, uh, trans, uh, trans, what's the word? Trans, transcendental? No, no, that's a good one. No, uh, transmission. In yeah. that transmission, it was so intimately connected to Sirius. And that for those who are kind of involved uh, with that kind of transmission through that channel, um, they probably have a stellar heritage. But with everything that had happened prior to that, I was just like, I just let it in. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, the lovely Alicia Power, who introduced me to you, which I'm great, very grateful for. Um, I did a, we used to trade sessions off, you know, this like 20 years ago. And uh, I did a session with her. And then she says, okay, da, da, da. And I'll leave the room now and just leave you with that, Richard. So I'm lying in this kind of darkened room feeling. In the, and the next thing I knew, I was probably about three or four million miles from Sirius A. And it was a 3D imagery. And I'm not a big imagery guy. I, I, I maybe feel more than hear or see in my internal representations. But this was like, boom, 3D. So if you could imagine being, you know, so it's a, it's a blue white star uh, and it, the reality of it and the immensity of it and the power of it, it's, it's, I think it's about nine times bigger than our sun. But there I was, you know. So that was another kind of confirmation because that, that's a rare occurrence for me to have that sort of uh, dimensionality in a very powerful vision, um, just like kaboom. So impact causation is what we're all familiar with. Just do it, build a bigger bomb, let's bring in a bigger army, let's uh, you know, hit it with more force, you know? let's, let's knock the cover off that ball. And, and all of these kind of ideas that go back, they're very much uh, connected to the patriarchy and uh, even drifting into chauvinism. And um, that's really a very thin slice of reality, overall reality. That's the way we've been living uh, predominantly as human present on the planet. It's not a very um, life-affirming way of going about things. And resonant causation. <clears throat> well, you maybe have heard those instances of young women who are in a university dormitory, the woman's dorm, and very frequently their menstruation, their menstrual periods sync up. So many of them, they all just start having their menstruation at the same time. Or um, resonant strings, people, some of you have heard a sitar. So a sitar is a six string Indian kind of guitar, right? But it's got 20 resonant strings underneath the main six strings. So the six strings, it's being, it's being fretted like a guitar. But when you hit a note, then you have two or three of these little resonant strings on the, underneath it, they vibrate. Um, or I've seen some beautiful uh, examples of, of metronomes all ticking at different paces, but then they're put on a board which can just kind of accommodate. Uh, eventually, 
every single one of them, you can have 30 or 40, they all go into um, synchronization, right? So if you walk into the room, Loren, and you're feeling really good, and maybe I have, I've been a bit down that day or whatever, and then you walk in, your lovely smiling self, your resonance tends to lift me, tends to lift me. And so it's, your, it's a frequency. So higher frequencies can raise lower frequencies. And uh, that's it, David Hawkins in his book, Power Versus Force, and all of his books, he's, he's brilliant, um, talks about how we don't need half of humanity, say 4 billion human beings to be at a higher resonance because a higher resonance can neutralize or raise large numbers of lower frequency. I don't know exactly the numbers right now, but because he does a calibration, right? And uh, so someone who calibrates at a five can neutralize those under 200 calibration, uh, 100,000 people under, 200, under that 200 level of calibration, that idea. So our higher frequencies matter. And uh, yeah, and part of this whole thing really is to help all of us consciously choose to be in a higher frequency by consciously modulating our emotional states. That's a big part of my work with clients is to help them consciously modulate their emotional states. You know, and we don't talk of positive or negative emotions uh, because that'll set up a block, you know, oh, it's negative, right? But we talk about um, expanding or contracting emotional states. Uh, the HeartMath Heart organization, which is just brilliant work, talk about depleting and renewing emotional states. But when we say positive or negative, uh, negative, I don't know about you, but most people, they just say, oh, negative, that's bad. Get rid of it. And they push against it. And by that pushing against what we resist, persist, sets up a resistance. And then it's just stuck. I'm stuck. It's stuck. Where is it stuck? It's stuck right there in my solar plexus or wherever. So um, we can learn to consciously choose love, gratitude, uh, compassion, awe, wonder, and happiness, all of these kind of uh, uh, higher frequency emotional states that's reflected biochemically in our body, right? When you just remember a time where you were feeling love, right? Uh, oh, my child, my dog, humanity, a sunrise, a sunset, whatever. And as we, rem just remembering it, um, it goes off and uh, suddenly the biochemistry shifts, which is amazing. Like 13 or 1400 biochemical changes occur just as we shift into a, Candace Pert in her beautiful book, The Molecules of Emotion talks about this stuff, but many people talk about it. Like, how do you shift? How can you change 1300 biochemicals in your body in just a few moments, you know? Boom, just remember the love. So resonant causation is consciously um, modulating emotional states to bring about a change in the so-called physical reality. That is the scientific explanation of why it's so important to raise our vibration. And, you know, as you were talking about Lazarus, well, Lemuria, I have Absolutely. to mention Lemuria. Yeah. Um, synchronicity in my own life has taught me or made me aware of um, my 
heritage of Lemuria. Yeah. And that I remember going to the Great Council as we are here on earth and we went to the Great Council to ask for, to let the laggards in because yeah. we knew that we could raise, that our vibration of love would lift them up. Yeah. Now I'm still blaming myself. <laughs> for, <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> for that not happening. Yeah. Right. I mean, that actually, I think a lot of us carry that that wound from Lemuria or a sense of responsibility yeah. in Lemuria. I mean, I could like go into tears and just cry at times yeah. because of it. And so this is part of the work that we're doing to clear it. But isn't that amazing? So now it's where we're turning. We're moving back into this resonance, into our awareness of how we literally create our reality through our vibration. Totally, yeah, yeah. And synchronicity is one of those times where you actually see it happening. You see it consciously happening. You see evidence of it where you, you may not know exactly the little details of the, the magic that you did for that to occur. And the uh, allies or ally that you involved to help that occur, right? But uh, you know, when, uh, when a big synchronicity hits, you know something is going on. The standard way of thinking about re reality, which I, I've, I use that term naive realism, uh, is it's naive and it's not, there's just so much more than that. And um, I, I, it's a great mystery that I'm living in. It's wonderful. And uh, it's just a outrageous miracle. The whole thing is like much deeper, much, much deeper and more profound than I've ever imagined it to be. So it really stretches us. Yes. All right. So the big juicy question is how would we position ourselves to really have more of these experiences frequently? I mean, what is the recipe for that? Well, I, I would I would imagine because I, there is no the recipe. Uh, it, I think it will be specific and unique to each one of us, unique to the individual. There are things though. Um, committing to our spiritual evolution, our spiritual life. So commitment, power commitment. That's super important um, as a uh, as an a catalyst to that and. Um, Making it okay, but not just making it okay, uh, but literally working, making it okay to work with our shadow, right? Um, now, I think it was Jung said, um, enlightenment is not attained by imagining beings of light, but rather by making the darkness conscious, right? And uh, that has uh, always rung true with me. There's a beautiful book written by Douglas Gillette, who... Um, uh, Written, he was part of the men's movement in a big way, right? That king, warrior, magician, lover uh, with Robert Moore and, and a whole series along that. But this one he wrote by himself um, called The Shaman's Secret, Lost Resurrection Teachings of the Ancient Maya. And, you know, we used to think of the Maya as being the peaceful kind of astronomers who built these astronomical kind of temples out in the jungles in the Yucatan, you know. But we know now from all kinds of discoveries that, well, they also were, did brutal uh, torture and killings, uh, sacrificial killings of other humans. 
And, but for me, a big thing for me has been trying to understand the, the light and the darkness of like the human deal, you know, like we, you know, uh, I was born not that long after the second world war and all the horrors of that, that occurred everywhere, both sides, you know, but especially you have the really pr pronounced example of the Holocaust. You have terrible things that occurred in China through the Japanese military, et cetera, et cetera. Like, how do you, how do we live with this thing? So anyway, there's the shadow and then there's the negative ego. And I think it's very important to make a distinction here. The shadow, this is my way of understanding it. The shadow is all that stuff I don't want to look at that I assess as dark. And if people find out about it, uh, I'll be rejected. I'll lose the love of my parents, might uh, be thrown out of school or whatever. It's stuff that's true, but I push it away. I push it away. I don't, I don't want to look at that. Just, it's better just push it away. Whereas the negative ego is more of, um, have you heard of that term, Wittico? It's coming up more and more now. Paul Levy is, I think, really brought it in the, into the public mind. But Watiko was a Native American term for an evil mind virus, <laughs> right? Some kind of like, it's a really bad thing that gets into people and just messes them up and makes them do terrible things. And some, uh, I know in the uh, Pathworks, uh, the beautiful work of the guide in the Pathworks, uh, call it the lower self, right? the lower self, um, Lazarus calls it the negative ego, which is a term I, I really like to use, the negative ego. It's, it's the part that comes through that is, that is highly destructive and will destroy everything. It can destroy a relationship in two minutes by just rah, 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 you know, saying a bunch of horrible stuff. And the next thing you know, uh, once said, it cannot be unsaid and oh, no, you know, and then that, <clears throat> that put a, something in someone's heart Right. So the negative ego is not the same as the shadow. The shadow is that stuff that we refuse. I don't want to look at that. I know, but it's actually true. It always is telling us the truth about something that we just refuse to look at. So that shadow work is super important. And I believe that can, I mean, I've been doing that stuff for 30 years. It continues. Um, it's not that it ever necessarily ends in a sense, maybe at death, which is the great healing. It, it might. But yeah, so shadow work, very good. Um, I've got a little list over here. Uh, oh, opening up to the unconscious and just all of its contents. You know, whatever happened to us, we survived, right? Whatever happened, I'm here, I made it. It's amazing, right? And then extracting the, the, the gifts, the treasures from our so-called sacred wounds, right? Now, I, my view is we did not come here for an R and R experience as human beings, right? We, just the physical nature of our bodies makes it challenging, right? When you think about it, you know, what, you know, there's such a vulnerability, Loren, we can just walk out and like in Costa Rica, and I, when I was in Costa Rica, I was always worried about these Fior de Lance, the Bushmaster snakes, which are like four meters long. Yeah, <laughs> I better not tell you, <laughs> no, you should. Yeah. Anyway, I, there was a, there's a snake variety of snake in Costa Rica where I just say, I don't want, I never want to see that thing. Right. Anyway, um, opening up to whatever has happened to us in our life, working through the pain if there's pain there, and extracting the treasures and the gifts because we're here 
You know, it's like, I'm going to the gym. Why are you doing that? Well, I want to get stronger. And then someone follows you to the gym and you're, on the, you're doing the curl machine. And you know what you're doing? You're, you're ripping your muscles on that thing by doing that. Oh, I know that. But by doing that, I get stronger actually because the, there's healing that occurs and it becomes even stronger. And I have more muscle mass and stronger. So I, I view our experience here and to, to affirm I'm here, I'm here to learn to grow in a very special way that's, that's not available to those who are not necessarily physical as human beings. It's a very amazing school of learning. Uh, Robert Monroe, who was the astral traveler, you might've heard of him, he wrote three books, Journeys Out of the Body, but that, which was, yeah, astral projection, cool, far out. He kind of got bored with it, but then he started going further out. And the second book was called Far Journeys. The third book was called Ultimate Journey, singular, Ultimate Journey. And in that, he said every so often when he was way out on these astral planes and the etheric realities, um, and he was a very conservative Virginia businessman. So he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't wearing tie dye and smoking weed. He was like really conservative guy. And, um, but he said every so often he would see something go like flying by like this incredible, luminous, powerful thing. And when he inquired about what was that? He says, that is someone who just graduated from the human earth learning school. This may not be exactly the term he used, but that was the idea. When we learn through this kind of limitation uh, what we are and what we can, you know, what, what we are truly, and to learn that and to learn to love through the limitations that, that we experience as this human being, that's a kind of growth that you just can't get anywhere, right? That's, that's just an amazing, amazing opportunity. And this human body, you know, the Buddha said it, all kinds of great teachers have said, this thing is a gift, man. It is like an incredible gift. So um, it's covered acknowledging that life's a mystery to be lived. That's, let's look at my little list here. Uh, knowing there's more than our sensory systems uh, can show us, absolutely. Um, moving the center of consciousness to heart. So a lot of times without prompting, or if I wasn't about to, hadn't already said that, yet, ask a group of people, where, where's consciousness centered for you? And you know, when you know, raise your hands and then just point. And most people will go like this. They'll point to their heads, right? And we're not saying that there's not correlations between brain functioning and conscious, conscious experience. But as I mentioned earlier with uh, the, the cardiologist from Netherlands and many people, um, uh, near-death experiences, uh, astral projection, you know, out-of-body experiences. There's all kinds of things at the point. Yeah, the correlation, but correlation does not equal causation. Correlation does not equal causation. And so um, moving the center of the heart, you know, most of the deep meditative uh, or transformational traditions see the heart as that's where, like the shamanic practitioners, they have the, in their various languages, but they call it the guardian uh, resides in the heart. The guardian is the ultimate ally. Um, uh, some, some call it my friend, uppercase, my friend. The yogis I mentioned, they call it the Paramatma or the Ishwara. The Sufis call it the beloved. Um, uh, even in Tibetan Buddhism, uh, the Dzogchen practitioners, they say the heart is where the mother light 
resides. And that there's a sunlight that, that, that ascends from the heart, S-O-N, not S-U-N, S-O-N, like the sun, the mother's child, ascends into the brain. Um, and at the time of death, descends back into the heart, that descends back into the heart. Um, so if we commit to living more from our hearts, um, and uh, that will make us, I'll use the word vulnerable to synchronicities, make us vulnerable to, to the occurrence or perhaps to the recognition or the subtle uh, sensing of it happening. Um, having a meditative practice, having a meditative practice. And, and there can be a little bit of programming in that, like, but I do, I use a more of an indirect type of programming. Um, as soon as my deep inner mind is making further arrangements for me to recognize synchronistic events more and more in my conscious waking hours, something will occur to me right now in my meditation. Now there's four categories of things that can occur, but I, I use what I call idio, idiomotor responses. A finger might lift. I might have an image of something. I might feel idioaffective. I might feel something in my body. Like my heart might warm or I might have tingling in my body, whatever. Uh, let's see, reading books. There's a lot of books out there about synchronicity and uh, a really great one, David Rico or Richo, I'm not sure, but he has one, uh, Power of Coincidence. That's a beautiful book. He's a great writer, R-I-C-H-O, David Richo, PhD. And, uh, but Jung's uh, Synchronicity and A Causal Connecting Principle is there. There's many, many books out there about it. And by feeling associating with that, um, there are workshops that are offered. We're offering a workshop on it coming up, <laughs> uh, right here. Uh, uh, sort of a nice little intro to it. Um, when you do have a little synchronistic event, just writing it down. There may be little ones or big ones, but just write them down. Just like a dream journal. If you write it down, it just solidifies, that concretizes it into your field and just makes, it, makes us more and more vulnerable. And um, John Lilly, uh, who he was the isolation tank, creator of isolation tank, dolphin researcher, dolphin communicator guy. Um, he had a thing that he called uh, earth coincidence control, seeing it like it seems like there's some kind of outer cosmic, earth cosmic coincidence control that, that causes these things to occur. And, uh, but the idea that something orchest is orchestrating this beyond my little ego self, right? And also, and with the ego self, to see the small ego self as an artful creation of the bigger self, uppercase S-E-L-F. Back to that, uh, the beloved, the Ishwara, the Paramatma, the guardian, that my little, my little amazing life as Richard Whitehurst going through all my little trials and tribulations and all the wonders and all the difficulties and the, the light and the dark is, is an artistic expression of, of something higher. Right? So those are just some ideas that can help us kind of orient to looking, seeing, and they're not all, uh, how to say, um, all synchronicities are not necessarily um, understood immediately. Like, I mean, just a, a, two weeks ago, I was driving down to the Noosa National Park and I was going about 40 kilometers, uh, whatever that is in miles per hour, 25 or 30, whatever. And out of the blue, driver's side. So we drive on the right side. <laughs> 
left side of the road, right side of the steering wheel. My rear view mirror, this bird flies right into it, turns upside down, gripping it, and starts pecking at its own image in my rear view mirror as I'm driving. It wasn't like, I've seen them do that when you're sitting still and a bird will come and might play around with your mirror, but this is, I'm driving, it flies then upside down and it's pecking. As I'm going to this place, uh, which uh, is very much uh, connected to that little ebook uh, called Heart Dreaming, Living Mythically from the Heart. Um, I'm going to that place and I'm going to find a parking space in that place, which is often difficult because if the surf's up, parking, you need the parking ferry to help you <laughs> with that one. But anyway, I still don't fully understand. It's so rich with symbolism. Birds are often symbols of the soul, right? But it was upside down, but it's gripping the frame of a mirror and it's pecking at its own image in a mirror as I'm going to this very special place from where I had this gigantic synchronicity of a cosmic, on a cosmic scale, dealing with the sun. And so um, we don't have to understand them all right away. We can just work with them and we can enter into that state of magical state of wondering. Wonder what, I wonder what that means. Yes. Beautiful. Oh my gosh, there's so much that comes up. I know our, our viewers and listeners are looking back at their own experiences of synchronicities. And we, you know, hindsight is 2020. As we integrate our experiences, it becomes so much more clear on, you know, what's happening and it makes us smile. So being heart-centered, um, you mentioned the birds. Uh, I was traveling in 2020, right around the US election. And that was a crazy intense time. I mean, it was palpable in the US, mm -hmm. really feel some energy. And I just kept seeing these crows from the moment we went on a road trip. And so from the moment I left my office, there were crows flying in front of my window in my office. Then mm -hmm. driving down the highway, many crows riding alongside our car as we're driving in the highway. And then finally I realized when I asked a question, I said, what do I need to know? And I heard, stay in your heart. Mm -hmm. And so I learned that every time I saw a crow, it was reminding me to stay in my heart because I was not in my heart in my thinking. Mm -hmm. Like the ego, the ego mind was running off the charts. So that's beautiful. So you mentioned the a lot of good books. I know, I hope our listeners and viewers are taking notes because there's some good books there. I do want to make a mention to the, mo the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? You mentioned Candace Pert, yeah. Saro Emoto's work was in that movie. Yeah. That movie is quantum physics proving, science finally proving this mystical realm yeah. and the yeah. quantum realm. And what we're learning is that the heart is the center of consciousness, but it is the entryway into the quantum realm. And you're a hypnotist. So you know when people get relaxed, the body is physically relaxed and that opens them up into this memory. So the question is, I hear this so much, how do we get centered in the heart? How do you live moment from moment in the heart? Mm. Yeah, good question. And um, this, is, this is my answer to that, all right? And it's not the answer, it's just my answer, okay? What I found works really well for me. 
Um, I have an amalgamation of a few things that I do, right? And my, my daily practice um, in the morning, I get up very early. I love the, I love the pre-sunrise hours. In the Vedic meditative tradition, they call us the Brahma Muhurta, which is when the sattva guna, the three gunas, sattva guna is the so-called mode of goodness, the introspective contemplative time for everything. Um, I, uh, I tune in to the visceral sensation of my heart beating in my chest, okay? Now, we are all capable of, we are wired to do that. I've heard doctors say, you can't do that, <laughs> but you can. <laughs> and it's actually, we have the wiring to, you know, neurologically to feel our heart beating. And we all know that from you walk up a hill or you do some exercise or strain you. Oh, my heart's beating really, right? So tuning into that in a relaxing state. So just getting present, becoming still. Um, begin breathing into your heart a little slower, a little deeper than usual. Those are some basic instructions through the heart math. I'm a heart math trainer also um, to uh, become heart centered. Uh, set an intention to be heart centered. Attention, intention, uh, uh, focus on it. And then, but once you have that visceral sensation of your heart beating in your chest, that to me really, that locks me in. Now the mind can wander and drift a little bit, but um, keep coming back to that. Now I, um, I have a, uh, a mantra that I use uh, for that, which is a um, 16 word, 32 syllable mantra. So I breathe four syllables in, four syllables out, four syllables in, four syllables out. To, uh, yeah, I, I do that as a practice, uh, but it is heart-centered, and that is for the Ishwara connection. That's very important for me. Um, but any, anything, any pace, um, if I don't use mantra, I, I take up to 12 heartbeats on an in-breath and 12 heartbeats on an out-breath, right? But it's belly breathing, so it's not, it's not trying to expand your ribcage by breathing up and high. It's first breathing low, letting the diaphragm drop, and then the lungs open, and then moving that breath up, expanding the ribs and lifting the collarbone a little bit. So set your intention. I'm going to center consciousness in the heart, right? And whenever I remember it, whenever that memory comes to me, where does that come from, right? Whenever that comes to me, I'll do it, right? And I want it to come to me frequently, often, right? That's, and I'm committed to doing that when it does come to me. It'll come to you more if you didn't make that commitment. The great power is in that kind of commitment. And learn to feel the, um, the visceral sensation of your heart beating in your chest. That will be like a, a real anchor, right? And then if you can regulate your breathing uh, to the frequency of your heartbeat patterns, so four beats in, and four beats out, right? That's kind of a good starting amount. Uh, and if you could have gently resting as awareness, that can be like a little English mantra or, you know, uh, or just, just something that goes to the pattern of the heartbeat that you're able to breathe with. But that's a Sufi practice, the Sufis. Um, and there's a great organization, the IAM Institute for Applied, Applied Meditation that I, uh, Puran and Suzanne Bear that um, uh, I learned some of that from, which is great. Um, but it's being aware of your heartbeat, setting an intention, making a commitment whenever you remember it, 
And you know, that the, the saying, it sounds really cool. Like the longest journey I ever took was the journey from my head to my heart, right? And it sounds good, but I just don't, I don't accept it. I just say, it's not a long journey. It's a short journey and it's boom. And it, it doesn't have to be a protracted journey either. It can be something that happens. Uh, you can, can start that right away. And, and you can just, I want to remember and commit to that memory and commit to the practice of when I do remember it, mm, back in my heart, back in my heart, back in my heart. Beautiful. And we say all the time for all of us watching and listening, if all we do is help someone get in the heart, first we get in the heart. Yeah. and connect to our higher self so we can help others get in the heart and connect to the higher self, then we've all done our job. Yeah. I know we yeah. raised our hand to incarnate here. Some yeah. of us even laughed at that thought. Really? We get to go to earth and just be love? We laughed yeah. at that thought. So let's, let's remember that as we walk this journey of yeah. seemingly chaos out in the outer world. What I, yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. The sound healers know very well that the if you can make a song that is to a heartbeat mm-hmm. that instantly puts people in a, a space that opens them up. So beautiful. You've just confirmed that. Uh-huh. Well, we you mentioned that we are having a workshop with you. We're really excited about that. Can you share with us what we're going to do? This is a mastery empowerment course, about two hours with you. And it's a great way for people to go even deeper. We're going to talk about really more ways that people can unravel this in their life. Share with us. Okay. Well, uh, in that, uh, there will not be just a um, a sharing of information, uh, but there will be process stuff that we do. And uh, some of it will be um, through that um, Ericksonian uh, psychotherapeutic and hypnotic side, um, idiomotor responding, right? So I mentioned briefly before that idea of um, setting up a, a, a directive with the deep mind or the higher mind or the inner mind to be engaged in um, actively um, uh, allowing me to be aware of when synchronicities are occurring that I would actually be able to perceive. My, my, my vision is that it's all synchronicity. Everything is synchronicity. But to actually put it together and to have meaning for me, because that's the difference with synchronicity, it, it becomes meaningful for the individual. Right? But um, to set up directives within the unconscious or the deep mind of, of the participants to have a way to facilitate, to catalyze, to gently encourage that process of awareness and of generating, uh, generating conscious awareness of synchronistic phenomena. Um, so that would be one thing. Um, let's see, what else are we gonna do? Um, we'll probably be covering um, uh, other, other meditative, uh, we've, uh, moving into a resonance, we have a resonance meditation that I wanna do with the group, which is uh, very powerful. And um, I have been involved, I haven't really mentioned it, but I think um, part of my bliss 
my passion is uh, with what's known as the overview effect, which has to do with the planetary vision. Because synchronicities, they manifest uh, usually through symbolic content. And Joseph Campbell, who was the great mythologist of um, academic scholar in mythology, um, he said that the vision of planet Earth from space might well be a symbol of the new mythology to come. Because both he and Jung said, we're kind of in between our mythologies. We're kind of, the mythology is the, uh, is it, uh, dreams are private myths, myths are public dreams. And the myth is what bestows or is the, is the container, the cauldron for meaning within a culture uh, and within a society. And so if we don't have that container, uh, we just sort of are adrift and it's like every man for himself. And um, so I like to offer as uh, an image and as an idea to establish a bigger, broader context, a mythic symbolic context that we are on a planet in space. So it's not, um, uh, it's not heaven and earth, it's earth in heaven. So there's this conjunctio, there's the conjoining. And there are those, I think in the Chinese tradition that say the whole earth is symbolic of the higher self, right? So here we have a conjoining of, so the, it's the marvels of what we have accomplished uh, through um, science in that sense of getting human, human organism into space and then we're able to look back. And that's one of the big things with astronauts when they look back, many, if not most, and one of the doctors, uh, Charles Barry, he was a doctor for NASA for 25 years. He said, they all are changed. Some of them say, nothing happened to me, but he said, every one of them is changed. Mm -hmm. But this is a deep paradigm shift that occurs in most of them. You know, Ron Guerin, the astronaut said, you know, it's so beautiful. It's unbelievably beautiful to see the earth from space. You can't, you can't get it uh, by looking at videos or looking at pictures but you can, you can extrapolate a bit. But he says, he's just, it's so beautiful. But you know that down on earth, there's so much that needs help, transformation and change. So Edgar Mitchell, he said, we went to the moon as technicians, we returned as humanitarians. So it's a very powerful transformative thing. And I do believe for our broader synchronistic living, it is a context that, uh, that deserves reinforcement Right. So I have a little uh, overview, planetary overview experience that I do with people set to the beautiful music of Eric Whitaker, who did this deep field. Write that down, people. Deep field. That's a YouTube video that he did with a choir of eight virtual choir, 8000 person virtual choir. And we uh, we got permission from them to use uh, part of that score for this little five minute experience that we do. And um, there's a couple other little bits and pieces in there that we're going to, to do as well. And we're going to go into a lot of the stuff we spoke about here uh, even deeper. It's going to be fun, exciting, and I think revelatory. That's going to be beautiful. I know I'm looking forward to that. And we invite our viewers and listeners to join us for that Mastery Empowerment course. It's going to be really great. And it's recorded if you can't join us live. We're doing that on a special date because... Richard is in Australia, but here in the continental U.S. and time zones all around the world, it's going to be a convenient time. We've lined that up. 
That link is on this webpage and it's also in the chat box if you're on our Zoom audience. The planetary vision, you know, I can feel those words. Uh, I could feel what that would be like. I can only feel it. It's mm -hmm. marvelous of what mm -hmm. Earth must look like in space. I know every time I do see a video of Earth from space, I mean, it's a theme here at New Earth One Network. Yeah. And it is why it is, I don't know, I think everyone watching and listening, it's why we're here. We're here for Gaia. We're here yeah. to raise our frequencies right alongside Gaia, who's raising hers. And this is why it's so important that we always hold our vision of new earth. Yeah, always. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Luminous futures for a new earth. And, and uh, as, as Lazara says, we're not just making a new floor. We're, we're, we're not just uh, remodeling where it's, it's a whole new thing that we're creating through our own amazing group visioning, beautiful, luminous futures. And uh, beautiful, uh, luminous. Very exciting. Very exciting. What a time. There's what never a time. been a time. We, we are so fortunate to be here now. You know, I remember as a boy, the, seeing the images of Martin Luther King marching and Selma and all, you know, and people, you know, arm in arm and, you know, getting batoned and uh, just like, wow. And I think, well, if I could tra travel back through time and be an adult, um, I would just go there and just march with them, you know, that idea. But now it's, what's going on for us as and the opportunity we have is far bigger and i don't mean to in any way to diminish the importance of the civil rights movement but just that this is planetary yes and and, and there's never been anything like this ever and uh, you know the, the world stage is is <laughs> is really something right now it and, is and we're starting idea. to see the shift of how do i put this we the people are creating a demand that we're not going to tolerate certain things anymore yeah. certain behaviors anymore yeah. and you know we are evolving love if we just remember that we are evolving love i think it helps you know at times at times it feels like oh that's a cop out you know yeah. that it's just love but really if we truly get that and we truly understand it and we truly know who we are we've got this and that's why it's so important to take inspired action. And that's what I'm working for is for people to be in a place always to be inspired, to be yeah. connected to their higher self, because that's these there's so many opportunities for new earth solutions. Let's just call it solutions. Yeah. And it's all hands on deck right now for new earth. <laughs> oh, beautiful. So, yes. Yeah, all hands on deck. So. Yeah. Um, I just want to do one more little um, mention of your workshop coming up. That's coming up. Check the special offer link and join us in that webinar. It's a really affordable way to go even further with Richard Whitehurst. He's really a remarkable spiritual teacher. In a few moments that we have left, I want to take a couple of questions from our audience. Caroline or Carolyn, you can unmute yourself and ask a question. I'll give you a moment. Hi. Hi. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm having a moment this afternoon as... Um, not being able to afford certain things. And I wonder if 
ask it it is given is meant for me or not in this lifetime. So, so that's your question. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I think it's meant for everybody in every lifetime. Um, and, and I guess it's a question of like, what are, what do we ask for and what would be that thing, which is most aligned with our deepest core, uh, to bring forth. Um, so I'm not sure if that's a, an adequate answer for you, but that's, uh, my view is that's true for you and me and Lorraine and all of us. Um, and we can make explicit and conscious what, what we would like. And, you know, the expression, follow your bliss. It, it's a beautiful thing. It's uh, very important to keep in mind. We have to follow our blisters. Also, we, we can't uh, neglect the part that needs healing, but um, you can kind of know what to ask for by the, the characteristics of the levels of excitement and all of those expanding emotional states that we spoke of before, um, the life-affirming um, uh, emotional states that come through when you hit on, oh, that's it right there. It's not, it's not just an idea in our head, it's something that resonates and rings like a giant bell ringing in our being, that right there. That's what I'm going to ask for. That's that's the thing to ask for. Right. And so, Richard, okay. I've had many uh, synchronicities in my life and mystical experiences, and and my gifts are pretty much all online and so forth. Um, yep. My car will drive itself for many years now to yeah. a farm, a for sale farm, and it looks it's almost like I created it myself. Because right. with my mind and what I want, but the money to buy it has never, has not yet. And it's been over 20 years now. So do I give up the dream when it's been that long? Because I don't want to dream it anymore. It's now it just hurts. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm unfit to answer that question for you. Um, um, to, to actually make a suggestion about what would be right for you. But if you think about it this way, Carolyn, um, is it Caroline or Caroline? Uh, it doesn't matter. I'm yes, French. It does. it does matter. Come on. It sister. matters. You matter. It matters. <laughs> it's Caroline. Caroline. Okay. Look, if, if it doesn't happen, uh, if you see it and the place in you where you want it and it's not happening, uh, well, maybe like we convert in st some of the stuff I do, uh, symptoms into signals or challenges into opportunities. That's the idea. So um, it just could be that that's just not for you or there's some kind of uh, pattern that's been running or a belief that's been running about, I know what I want. I never get what I want. Um, there could be something. So if if the experience for you emotionally is one that we're, oh man, I know what I want, but I just never get it. Well, that could be that there's a belief that's operating and the belief is a little succinct statement uh, with an emotion mixed in that we believe to be true, even though it may be very relative and only relatively true under some circumstances. 
So I would say maybe look for a belief there. Look for a belief that could be holding you back. I'm not saying having a beautiful property farm or whatever is wrong or right or anything, but um, to see what comes up for you, um, I would probably take that path myself if I was in that situation. Well, I'm not getting it. What, what is it? Well, well then what, what belief comes up for me? I, I just don't, I don't get what I want. And then when contextualize that, when have you felt that before? And then see what comes up and what's the earliest in your life you felt or thought that same kind of thing and almost invariably, go ahead. I have done that work and, and perhaps there is more. Absolutely. I am open and I thank you. I've done that work for many, many, many years now. Yep. And so did you feel that you got down to the core of that sort of thing? That sort of. I feel like I have many times. Yes. So if you think about it now, if you think about there's that land and my car literally drives itself there. As you think about that and that you, you're not getting it because you don't have the money right now, scan your body from your waist up to your jaw and just see where your attention just naturally goes all by itself, where it's either heavy, tight, contracted, knotted, and just sort of see if your attention goes any place. And when you know, just let us know. Where does your attention go as you think about, I'm just, I just don't have the money to get it. I want it so bad, I just don't have the money. So it feels like it's in my solar plex. Yep, yep. And so just a quick geography lesson, emotional geography, solar plexus is um, often for most of us, uh, when we have a tight place in our solar plexus, you have the uh, belly, solar plexus, heart. And in the solar plexus, what usually gets stuck there are either guilt or shame. Guilt is a behavioral thing. Oh man, I did something bad. Yeah. <laughs> and shame is, I am bad. Uh, shame is, uh, re- shame is really, that's a low frequency. And so if you might consider in my life, right, uh, are there, do I have a history where I either felt I had done something bad and therefore I don't deserve, or I am bad and therefore I don't deserve. And um, that, that could perhaps begin or reinitiate um, uh, further work in this area. Because when it's resolved, you, that let go just occurs by itself beautifully. And, um, and you don't feel that emotional affect. You know, they, that's what, they call it baggage, and I don't call it baggage for nothing. It's literally something that we feel in our body that weighs us down. So, Caroline, that's what I would suggest. Um, consider, and I'm not saying that's absolutely true because I don't know. You know, we're each unique individuals, but consider, do I have, am I carrying guilt and shame, guilt and or shame in my solar plexus? And if I am, if that were what it was, and not that we have to name it, but what's happened in my life? And that's where you're putting it to your deep mind. Um, What's happening? What has happened in my life that I felt that basically that same feeling, right? And it doesn't mean you haven't done work already. It sounds like you've done heaps of work. You probably know a lot about it, but there may be a little bit more to go. And sometimes it's like going down to a layers of an onion. So 
So um, that's my my humble advice at <laughs> this stage. I love you both. I love you. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you for letting me through, Devan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Caroline. And do not give up on that dream. Oh. Do not give up on it. Someday it may accelerate and come out of left field like you do not know what's going on. Beautiful. It will. I mean, it's beautiful. All right. And keep open to the flexibility of what that really could be as well. Yeah. Really cool. All right. And Caroline, if that happens, let me know. <laughs> I want to celebrate with you. Okay. Beautiful. I will. All right. Thank you. Well, everyone, thank you so much for your light. We truly hope that you are looking at the synchronicities in your life, looking at every moment for the meeting, the meaning in every moment. I know I'm thinking a lot about it and really the ultimate key is to stay centered in the heart. Please join us with Richard Whitehurst for the Mastery Empowerment course coming up. And Richard, as we say goodbye, I want to just give you a moment to give us any final thoughts for our session today. Okay. Final thoughts. Uh, this came up for me just slightly before Carolyn came onto the line, which was, look, this is an amazing time to be on this planet. We are each called, especially those who are drawn to your program, Loren, and to these kinds of things. We're, we are called now. What is it the Hopi elders they say? The time of the lone wolf is over. And we are the ones we've been waiting for. It's not outside of ourselves. We get to participate. Like the marching with Martin Luther King. Like, well, now we get to do our own marching in this time. And it doesn't mean that it has to be on a huge scale. It could be. It could be to millions with millions. It could be with hundreds or thousands. It could be with, you know, 10 or 20 could be with one person. And I just, I'll leave you with this very brief story of uh, uh, a woman, she was an extremely successful lawyer. She had made so much money, house, uh, cars, and just all of the accoutrements that go with that category of, of financial success. And um, she had a near-death experience. And in that experience, what flashed before her eyes was not the, um, all of that creation that had occurred as a lawyer but a single incident which highlighted what was really important and valuable. And that was that she was standing in line at a grocery store and the, the young kid who was there as the checkout boy was there and he just didn't look very happy. He looked pretty depressed and down and devastated actually. And she spontaneously leaned forward and just whispered something supportive in his ear. That's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. These are important. And that, was the incident that shone most brightly in her entire life as she was having this near-death experience. So we matter and little things, it doesn't just, uh, what do you do? I just smile at everyone I see, that's what I do. You know? What do you do? I, you know, I just try to say something loving to someone, one person a day or whatever. And we have no idea of the impact that will have and how that can expand outwards. And the next thing you know, someone is like, a Greta Thunberg or a little Felix Finkbeiner or some of these people that just suddenly they just do what they do and it just goes everywhere. So get into it. Uh, we're in this together. It's an amazing, marvelous time to be human on this earth. 
not an easy time, but an amazing time. And uh, do what you can do to be come from your heart and be loving and to, to give and receive. That's it. Thank you very much. Beautiful words. Yes, uh, be love. As our friend Randy in our Zoom audience says, be love on porpoise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. we're here to shine our light. And thank you, everyone. That is why your smile is worth a million dollars. Actually, it's priceless, but that's the power of a smile. And I like to say during this whole last couple of years, how do you show up in a pandemic? How do you show up? Can you be that love? Can you share a smile? People can see a smile in the eyes. So never let anyone take your sense of humor or your smile. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Richard Whitehurst. This has been a beautiful quantum conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Lauren. It's been a pleasure and a joy. Thank you. All right, now everyone, again, join Richard Whitehurst in his upcoming class. And thank you for your love and your light. Namaste. Thank you for listening to this quantum conversation. And thank you for dancing with us to the cosmic heart. As we raise our own vibration, we raise the vibration of the planet. This show is dedicated to you and all awakening hearts as we are here to shine our bright light and amplify our love. Access all quantum conversations, special offers from our guests, and online healing retreats by visiting AcousticHealth.com. I'm Loren Gailey, and from my sacred heart to yours, I honor your magnificent love and light. We leave you now with music from the universe. Music literally created by the universe as musical notes were assigned to mathematical equations. The result is this beautiful music available at AcousticHealth.com. Namaste.